Uh, my name is Ben Hurd. I'm the senior pastor here. What a joy it is to bring the Word of God to you. So let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on what Aaron mentioned about kids' ministry, and I, I just don't want us to look lightly uh, if, you are, if you are serving in kids' ministry. Uh, it's a big deal, and it, it means more to our children than you may realize. And this was really brought to my attention this week. Nikki had talked to a girl whose dad was a pastor, uh, and this girl just loves the church, and uh, she's a teenager. And, and my wife just asked, like, why? Why do you love the church so much? Was it the fact that your dad was a pastor? And, uh, you know, like, what, what brought you to that conclusion? What brought you to think that way? And one of the, one of the things that, that she said was just, like, the leaders who had poured into her life in different times in kids ministry in youth ministry and so let me just let me just say it's a big deal so if you're serving kids ministry thank you please don't look at it as babysitting please don't look at it as filling a gap you have the opportunity to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news of Jesus at a kid's level the where they can understand and you're another believer in their life and so I encourage you even like during coffees and donuts one of my favorite things is just to see the people interacting interact with those students, get to know them by name, say hi to them when you're not teaching. Uh, it really is a big deal, and it really does take a village to raise people, I think. So thank you for your service, and I do praise God for that. Uh, I was in college uh, when God called me to full-time ministry, and actually, at that time, I was going through a lot of despair and depression. I was a, a sophomore at the time, and I had already changed my major once and wasn't feeling the major that I was currently in. It was a, it was a struggle. And to be honest, I felt quite lost and unsure of my life and what I was to do. But, but God was very gracious to me. And even though I felt completely inadequate to pursue being a pastor, I accepted the call, left the current school I was in and enrolled at Grace College in Winona Lake. Now, I had no idea what I was signing up for in ministry. I know there's a couple guys here who have been in ministry before full-time, and it's, it's rough. It can be hard. It's a challenge. Nobody can prepare. No school can teach you the hard knocks of Christian full-time ministry. And here's something that we all must come to understand, not just being a pastor, but, but for all followers of Jesus Christ. Following God comes with a cost. There is a cost to following after God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but yet there is a cost. Uh, at one point, the cost for us uh, was for us to leave Indiana for a season to to move to Illinois uh, because God was calling us to pursue something different. That was, that was a very hard, painful time. Uh, we weren't leaving a church that we hated. Uh, there, there was not heresy being proclaimed. There was nothing, there was no bad blood between me and the, the pastor that I was under there. It was just a simple uh, reality that God was calling us to something different. But yet, we had to, we had to leave family and and sure, it was only two hours away, but you don't just get in the car and drive two hours in any, any snap of the fingers. There was a cost to us following the call of God on our lives. And along the way, in this journey to where we are at today, uh, there's been so many other sacrifices. One of the reasons why we moved to Illinois is because the church that we were part of, the, the family of churches had a pastor's college in Maryland that it was my dream to go to and to get trained up to be a pastor of the family of churches that we were in. And to, to my disappointment, that never happened. And after living in Illinois for four years, that dream was crushed and I ended up reluctantly moving back to the area uh, because my dream of being a pastor, I thought being a pastor again was done. But by God's grace, he led us to Harvest Bible Chapel, now known as Gospel City, that ended up planting our church and uh, 10 months after starting to attend there, he called us to serve as a pastor, he called me to serve as a pastor on the staff there, and I loved it. It was fantastic. Uh, I was leading adult ministry, uh, oversaw small group, and, I, and my dream was to lead small group ministry, and I thought I had arrived. 
I was under the umbrella of a senior pastor. Uh, I answered to an executive pastor. So not only did I have two pastors on staff that were over me, but I also had the, the elder team that I was under. And, and I, I missed a lot of the arrows that were shot at the church. Uh, no doubt there were arrows that were shot at anybody who's in pastoral ministry especially. Uh, but I got to avoid a lot of that, and, and we loved it. It was great. We had great friends. But then God came knocking on our door in the summer of 2018, and he was calling us to come plant a church in Elkhart County. And so I went from having all of this kind of support over me, this umbrella, to being in the very front lines of planting a church. And that came at great cost. Uh, we had to sell a house that we absolutely adored. The Lord had opened up this amazing door, gave us a great deal. It was a, it was a house that we had envisioned living in forever. We were starting to picture our grandkids coming there and visiting and had tons of space to be able to house family if they were to move out of town. I mean, it, it, was, it was a special place. And again, we got a great deal on it. And God was calling us to come to Elkhart County. And we knew that we could not stay in Granger and effectively love the people of the church. And so we had to sell the house that we loved. I don't know if you've paid attention to the housing market. Uh, it's not very pleasant. <laughs> and we, we ended up jumping. Uh, so we moved twice within the first few months that we came out here. So not only did we move from our Granger house but then into a rental, but then we had to move into another rental. So I don't know if, how many of you just love moving. Like it's like... God's greatest gift to you is, is loading up your house and moving. <laughs> well, there's seven of us in our family. So you can imagine over the years how much stuff can be accumulated by seven people. And so we had, to, we had to move twice into temporary housing. And so for two and a half years, we're trying to find a house in this market. And, and by God's grace, uh, he eventually uh, provided a house for us a year ago but at a much greater cost than what our previous house had, and plus this house is smaller. There's a cost when it comes to ministry. There's a cost when it comes for each of you when you decide to follow after Christ. But here's the good news, there's also grace in the serving. And that's where Paul comes in here, where in, in chapter three, he's going to bring some encouragement and he's going to show us the costly, gracious call to serve. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 now. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you... When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirits. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning already, for the, the chance to remember your sacrifice for us. Our salvation came at great cost, the cost of your perfect son who gave his life willingly, who did not spare any drop but drank it all 
God, leave us amazed continually at your grace. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would remind us of of the call to serve you, Lord, that whether we're in full-time ministry, whether we're a missionary, whether we're just a business person whom you've you've rescued, Lord, there, there are certain costs that come to us in light of following after you. And so, Lord, would you give us grace in that? Would you remind us of the grace? Would you keep us from serving out of a burden, uh, at least the burden of doing good, Lord? Spare us from that, Lord, that we would do so from a heart full of gratitude for your grace. Father, we need you this morning. Would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've worked our way through the first two chapters of Ephesians, which has been packed with some deep theological truths, truths that we cannot get wrong. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works so that no one may boast. This is foundational to our faith, is it not? Something that if we get wrong, we will go sideways very quickly. And and what we've seen, too, in Ephesians 2 is that Paul does not want us to forget the gospel. We once had no hope. We were once without God. And yet, he rescued us. We have now a sure hope. And Christ has brought us peace. Not just peace between us and God, but also peace between one another. And and what we've seen here is that unity in the church matters, does it not? When we get along and we love one another, it shows the world the picture of the gospel. And as we discussed Ephesians 3 this morning, we're going to see Paul informing the Gentiles, which is his target audience, about the mystery that was revealed to him. So look again at verse 1. For this reason. Now, the first time I looked through that, I had to read that over and over again, read this section, because does he really get into answering the reason, like, for this reason? Does he really get to the point? Like, no, for this reason, I... He doesn't really get to it until verse 14. Verse 14 says the same thing. It starts, for this reason. So really, Paul gets sidetracked. So put aside for this reason. Forget about that. We're not looking into that this week because he he goes on a little bit of a tangent that he wants to reveal to the Ephesians. So verse 1 continues. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And and here's what we see. The call to serve God is costly. The call to serve God is costly. Notice Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So you you may look at that, your initial reaction may be, okay, yeah, this is what Christ has called us to do. We are his servants, we are his slaves, we are called to be prisoners for God. That means we are to give up any any, uh, desires of our own and surrender it all to God. This, This is not what Paul means by prisoner here. What Paul means by prisoner here is like he is a literal prisoner. He has literally been taken captive by somebody in chains. And what's the reason why? It's on behalf of the Gentiles. His ministry to the Gentiles has led him to be imprisoned. There's a cost to following after Christ. Uh, We've discussed this often. Uh, Who were God's chosen people from from the Old Testament? It was the Jews. It was the the Israelites, the Jews. they're, They're the same people. And so as time progressed and it became the time of Jesus, you remember, there were people like the Sadducees and Pharisees, and were they good people? No, they, they really hated Jesus. They didn't really know God. And so they grew up pretty, pretty uh, arrogant. A lot of them were arrogant and proud and thought they, had the, they, had the, the, they, they were in on the things of God, that God loved them especially and hated the, the Gentiles. In fact, they looked at the Gentiles with dismay. They looked at them and considered them unclean. A lot of arrogance in the hearts of the Pharisees. And, and Paul used to go by Saul, and Saul was actually the Pharisee of Pharisees. 
Like he knew the law inside and out. He was taught by one of the best teachers. And so you could imagine the animosity of the Jews when they're preaching uh, against the Gentiles, and all of a sudden they have one of their main men, Paul, who encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus and repents of everything that he did, and now he's actually proclaiming Christ, and so they imprison him for it. He is suffering because of his call to the Gentiles, because of his call from God. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that he suffered greatly. I mean, just consider some of the things that he had to endure. He was beaten on his back, 39 lashes, two different times. He was imprisoned multiple times. He, he lost everything when he renounced his pharisaical ways. I mean, picture that. Like, all of his friends were in that group, and all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's outright speaking against what he had originally stood for. He lost all of his friends. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. Paul endured so much for the sake of following after Christ. Even in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we've looked at that before. He despised of life in light of everything that he had gone through. And ultimately, the tradition goes that Paul was killed for his faith. Brothers and sisters, what does that mean for us what can we take away from this following god comes with a co a cost certainly most of us if not all of us none of us will have to endure half of the things that Saul or Paul went through we won't have to face much persecution in our lifetime but perhaps that's coming we don't know Still, the reality is, is, is we suffer for the sake of Christ. One thing that we will lose if we truly pursue Christ is comfort and ease. Like sometimes we approach, some people approach, they want God because they want comfort and ease. They want an easier life. They want the burdens that they're carrying to be taken away. And Jesus says, like, no, in this world you will have trouble. We will lose our comfort and ease because God calls us into the front lines when he saves us. It's not easy being a follower of God. As I mentioned, it was, it was a sacrifice to move from where we were, real close to family, to plant a church out here. It came at a cost to us. My parents are aging. They, they're not able to get out as often as they were. We used to live 15 minutes from both of our sets of parents, and it's just not as easy. You understand. And all the friendships that we had lost in the church, we had, we had dear friends that, that we would see every week, week in and week out, and life just gets so busy. My priority now is you. It's Gospel Community Church. I, I can't hang out with the people that used to feed my soul, used to bring life to me. It's just, it just doesn't work out very well. There's a, there's a cost to following after Christ. Let me ask you, what, what have you lost in your call to follow him? Perhaps some of you have faced broken relationships because the things that you value the most aren't valued by those around you. And so maybe now you are, you've been labeled a, a bigot because of some of the things that you stand for. Maybe you have lost out in promotions at work because you refuse to do things immorally while you watch other people who are immorally rising up in their company doing things that you refuse to do because of your love for Christ. Brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you, the call to Christ, the call to serve him comes at a cost. So how do we handle that? How, how do we deal with that reality? That's a, it's like, thanks, Ben. Thanks, I came to church for coffee and donuts, and now you've just took us into some depressing things. How do we understand? How do we deal with this? The, the first thing I would say is just, it's just so helpful to know what's coming. Just be aware of the suffering. Scripture is very clear on the call to suffer. 
First uh, Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Man, I'm suffering for Jesus. Why? Well, don't be surprised. So it helps us just to be aware of the reality that there is a cost to follow him. But another thing is understand the benefits that the cost brings us. Understand this, what suffering actually does for believers. Like Satan has this thing like, oh, I'm going to get you. And Jesus says, oh, that's, that's fine. Go ahead because I'm going to use it for their good. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, he's not saying, hey, every time you suffer, let's celebrate. That, that's not what, hey, I lost my job. Let's celebrate. Woo! Oh, I got this terrible health diagnosis. Let's celebrate. That, that's, he's, not just, he's not celebrating the bad thing that's happening. What he's saying is like, celebrate what those sufferings will bring you. Look at it. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How, how do we, like you ever pray for perseverance, help me to keep pressing on? Be careful. Because <laughs> usually a trial is coming your way because it produces steadfastness. We don't get the desire, we don't, we, don't, we don't build the muscle to keep going by having life go well for us. How many of you just, just thrive and you grow in Christ's likeness when prosperity comes your way? I'm not just speaking from a place of monetary uh, profiting, but like relationships are good. We, are, we, are, we grow in the fire, don't we? When the hard things come, that's what brings perseverance. And perseverance, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What can help us in understanding there's a cost is understanding that the cost that we experience actually grows us stronger in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, if you want to write this down, I'm not going to have it on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, so we do not lose hearts. Though our outer self is wasting away, how many of you feel that? Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. Now, who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul. Remember, in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he said he despaired of life. But here he's, here he's calling everything that he suffered, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the abandonment of friends, all the things that he suffered, the imprisonments. He is calling them light, momentary afflictions. What are they doing? They are preparing for him an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So to recap, how do we, how do we prepare ourselves for suffering in light of the cost that it is to follow God? First of all, just be aware it's coming. Second of all, understand what that suffering will bring you. And thirdly, have an eternal perspective. This is, this is not our home. How many of you found that to be incredibly great news? <laughs> this is not our home. I just had a, a funeral this week from one of the, the members of our church, that their, their father. And it's like the reality sets in again, this is not our home. We're just passing through. This world, can I say it, sucks. Part of my language. It's just, it just does not satisfy. But they're preparing an eternal weight of glory for us. The call to serve God is costly. Look at verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Here's the next thing. We are to be stewards of God's grace by serving. We are to be stewards of God's grace by serving. So Paul is not writing to complete strangers here. Chances are either they have heard directly from Paul's voice in Acts. He visited Ephesians and spent some time there to, to build up the church. So they've heard from Paul. And if they haven't heard directly from him, they, their friends have told them about Paul. So he's not a stranger to the church in Ephesus. 
And he wants the people to know that what he is telling them was not given to him. What he's writing to them was not on his own accord. He didn't think up the gospel. He, he didn't come to his own mind and, and, and think these things up. No, this, is, this was a gift from God, and, and he is a steward of the gift that he has been given. He is a steward of the grace of the revelation that has been revealed to him. Now remember, that started on the road to Damascus when he was on his way to persecute and defeat other and kill other Christians. Jesus met him dramatically, confronted him. If you remember, what did Jesus say to him on the road? Saul, Saul, which was Paul's name, why are you persecuting me? And so from that point on, he became a steward of the, the grace of God that was given to him. And, and here's what Paul didn't do. He didn't take it and find the good news of Jesus and then go live his life. He didn't accept the good news of Jesus and now I can be happy by myself and I'm just going to live my own life and not bother other people and just live in the joy of my salvation. No, the reality is he was given a call in order to use it to serve. Brothers and sisters, the same thing is true for you. When he rescues you, when he gives you his grace, you become a steward of the gift of God. You become responsible to carry the call. We've read this last couple weeks in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 where each of us has been given a gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has gifted you in some way to serve. And he calls for you to be a good steward of that. Ultimately, God has called me to proclaim the word of God to you. Not many, if, not many of you have that gift, but he has gifted you in some way. I've seen some people, have you seen some people and the way they are with kids and it just blows your mind. They're like, man, you are gifted and made for that. Praise God for those who are gifted to serve children. For some of you, God has gifted you with financial blessings. And, and your gifting is generosity. We, we have benefited greatly from generous people in our lives who have provided in ways that have left us speechless at times. That's God's gift that he's given you. Uh, we have, uh, we, we have, we're having some issues with our lights in the parking lot. And so if you're ever here at night, it's not always the brightest. And we found out a couple of the lights are out. And you can't just take a ladder and, <laughs> and climb up those things and fix those lights. So somebody for our church has said, look, you buy the lights and I'll, I'll, I'll donate my time and whatever it needs to get those lights changed. That, that's their gift, their gift of construction. That's a gift that they're using to serve our body. What gift, what, how has God gifted you? Perhaps he's given you the gift of hospitality. That's, that's why I think uh, being greeters, I, I don't want to overlook that. How many of you have been blessed, whether here or other places, just by a very friendly, genuine, welcome, welcoming person? Like, that is a gift. And if you have that gift, God's calling you to use it. There, there are certain people that have made me feel welcome in certain situations that goes beyond, like, the normal way that people are. It's a gift that God's given. Brother and sister, are you being a steward of the gift that God has given you? In Matthew 25, uh, you aware of the, the parable of the, the talents? You remember that, where the servant comes and gives one, one person five talents, another two and another one. The, the person with five goes and, and doubles it. The master says, well done. The person with two goes and doubles it and well, uh, again and says, well done. The person with one is like, you're a harsh master and I was scared, so I just buried it. Here's your talent back. And, and what did the, the master say to that servant? You wicked, useless, lazy servant. And he was cast into the fiery furnace, it says. God's gifted you in order to serve. I mean, and here's the thing, though. He gives grace for it. Imagine if I were to, to give you $1,000, but I said, there's one stipulation. You get to keep 100 How many would be like, great, I'll take that. <laughs> but the other 900 you got to find nine people to give $100 bills to. Like, that, that's, that's in essence what God is doing. It's like, I'm gifting you. I'm giving you this grace in order to serve the body. Be a good steward of it. We are to be stewards of God's grace by 
serving. Look at verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The ultimate call to serve is to spread the good news. The ultimate call to serve is to spread the good news. Here's where we get the answer to what is the mystery that Paul is referring to in in verse 3. How many of you like a good mystery? Perhaps Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express. Maybe you like a good Sherlock Holmes mystery. This, this is not the mystery that Paul is refer- referring to here. This is not a mystery to be solved. Paul didn't solve a mystery. He wasn't searching for something and he had some clues and, and then he, he solved the mystery. Rather, this is a secret to be revealed. One that has been kept up until Christ now has been revealed by who? Revealed by the Spirit. It wasn't something anybody came up with. This is something that the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul. And of course, what is the mystery? The mystery is great news for us, most of us here, that Gentiles are now fellow heirs. Members of the same body. Everyone is offered the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is... This is amazing. This is something that we miss here. This is why I was like, oh, man, I wish I, I, wish I would have lived back then to really feel the impact of that. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I wonder how much, I mean, did, did the, the church in Ephesus, did they face any backlash from the Jews? Like, did they face the animosity of the Pharisees? Like, I, you wonder what they felt. But, like, this was a unique call make no mistake, that Paul had to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time to the Gentiles. We've been around for 2,000 years. The gospel has gone around for 2,000 years. So, so we're, like, we're like late to the game. It's, like, it's sort of old news for us. But for them, this would have been so unique. Hey, you remember that gift that was given to the Jews, the, the scriptures that were revealed to the Jews? Guess what? Jesus has come, and now he's made a new covenant And whoever repents and believes has eternal life. This is what Paul has been gifted with. Again, Paul's calling was unique. Paul received these things from the Spirit in ways that I question whether or not we fully reveal these things. I always get nervous when somebody says, God told me something. You ever have that? Like, God told me that. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I've heard guys say to women, hey, God told me that you're supposed to marry me, you know? <laughs> Ladies, if somebody tells that to you, say, God told me something different, right? Like, <laughs> I always get nervous about that. But what we do know is what God has revealed to us through his word. I am no prophet. I am not Paul. I look at the scriptures. I trust the spirit to speak through the scriptures. So we don't have the same calling as Paul does, but we have the same ultimate call to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Every believer is responsible for that. He has gifted you with salvation in order for you to take the good news to the world that so desperately needs to hear it. He's given you a treasure not for you to go home and bury it. He's given you a treasure to show the whole world, let me share the grace of God that's been given to me. Let me ask you, how faithful are you in proclaiming that gift that you've received to the world. The ultimate call to serve is to spread the good news. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Our call to serve God is a gift of God's grace, not a burden. Our call to serve God is a gift of God's grace, not a 
burden. So just consider how Paul approached his, his call to preach to the Gentiles. How did he receive that? Now remember, where was Paul at when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. Why was he in prison? <laughs> For preaching the good news to the Gentiles. He wasn't sitting at a resort with a nice ocean view, writing this lovely letter. He was in chains writing to the Ephesians while he was, he was suffering for the very people he was writing to. But Paul wasn't annoyed. Paul, Paul didn't, he wasn't frustrated. He, he wasn't trying to shame them. He didn't want to guilt them. And in fact, you look at verse 13, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Don't lose hearts. Because he says it's God's grace. It's his mercy. Look, verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul's not looking this, oh, i got to suffer. Oh, man, i got to do this nine, these 39 lashes. Oh, i got to be in prison, a shipwreck. Now you're going to let me be bit by a snake? Like, we just don't see, we see Paul lose heart at one point. But he's not grumbling. He, he's not looking at serving as a burden to him. This past week, I, I got to be honest, it, it, it kind of wrecked me. Paul's a different dude. I wonder how often we get like, oh, I got to go serve kids ministry this morning. Oh, I got to get up early to, to greet people at the door. Like, how, how I, I realize there, the suffering that I've endured as a pastor is far less than what Paul did. And yet here he's saying, man, this service, this gift that he's given me to serve is, is God's grace. It's God's grace that I get to be up here and proclaim the word of God. It's God's grace that you get to use your gift to serve our kids. It's God's grace for you to be generous to people who are in need. It's God's grace to use the gifting of construction in order to help the church out. It's God's grace. We had a guy go to, from our church go to Puerto Rico on a missions trip to help build roofs for people who desperately need it. Let me ask you, is it God's grace to you when you suffer for the sake of Christ? Do you consider it as a blessing that you get to partake in that, even though it's hard? And there's this call all throughout Scripture to rejoice in our suffering. 1 Peter 4, 13, we read 12. Don't be surprised at the fire trials or something strange will happen to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Romans 5, 3 through 5, Paul says this, not only this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, sounds a lot like James, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't share what I shared earlier about me for you to feel sorry for me. It's God's grace for me that I get to serve you the way God has gifted me to serve you. Do you approach the suffering that you endure for the sake of Christ and consider it God's grace? Even the Savior said this in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How do you respond when you suffer for the sake of Christ? Our calling to serve God is a gift of God's grace, not a burden. Lastly, look at verse 9. Let me, let me point something out first. Verse 8, you see Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This is, this is, this is the, the background to why he considers him to be able to serve the Lord as grace. Paul considered himself the chief of sinners, if you see elsewhere, because of his sins against Christ, because of the persecution he did of the church. Listen, what, what allows us to be able to approach our serving 
of God and consider it God's grace, it's by remembering what we deserve. I, I don't, all I know about me is that I only know my heart. I don't know the heart of anybody else, and I know how wicked my heart is, deceitful. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet God chose to rescue me. So the fact that he allows us to participate in his work is God's grace. Now verse 9. <laughs> and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's the last thing. The service of God's people is a testimony to the angels. The service of God's people is a testimony to the angels. What is one reason for the mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs? To show God's manifold wisdom to angels. What does manifold mean? What, what two words do you think of? Many-fold. There's, there's like many aspects to God's wisdom. It's so complicated and so deep and so rich, we can't fully understand it, and neither can the angels. That's the, the, what it says here. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, the angels look and wonder. Don't, don't you want, like, how much access did the angels have to what was going on in the world? I mean, the scriptures say that we're entertaining angels unaware, right? So they've seen the, how the church came to be, uh, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is a mystery that they don't fully understand. It's not something they can grasp. Even 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, it says this. Let me read it for you. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Our salvation should amaze us. Even the angels look and are in awe of God's saving grace. Like, we don't know what the angels were thinking. Certainly some of them fell when Satan fell. Like, they don't understand redemption like we do. We were worthy we had the blood on our hands. We were worthy of condemnation, and yet at the right time, Christ died for you. Brothers and sisters, Paul wants us to be amazed at, your, at our salvation. So as we close, let me remind you, believer, the call to serve God is costly. It won't be easy. There will be suffering but remember, God is gracious, and he has gifted you. He's calling you to be a steward of God's grace. When he rescues you, when he opens your eyes to the gospel, he intends for you to celebrate the good news, but then to take it and pass it on. Be a good steward of God's grace. The main way we can serve the Lord is by proclaiming the gospel. And remember... The fact that God then uses us to grow his kingdom is his grace. Let that lead you to joy in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. God, you have, you have blessed us in the, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. You've saved us by grace apart from works. 
And Lord, you've called us to participate in that, Lord. But would you remind us this morning, humbly so, that that calling does involve suffering. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to suffer well. Lord, that we would be able to be like Paul that looks at our suffering as light momentary affliction that are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Lord, that what awaits us is not worth comparing to the suffering that we're enduring now. And so, God, give us a heavenly mindset. God, that, that you would open our eyes to see the gifting that you've given us. And, Lord, that we would be good stewards and that we would serve. Whether it be hospitality, generosity, proclamation of your word through teaching. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards of your grace by being your witnesses, Lord, that that we would be bold witnesses to those around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. God, would you give us courage? Would you protect us from growing weary in doing good? God, that we would serve out of the abundance of joy in our hearts because of your grace. Lord, that you allow us to participate in your work and we are deserving of condemnation. We were once objects of God's wrath. God, keep that from, keep that from being just something that just goes in one ear and out the other. Help us to linger on that glorious truth that you have rescued us from our sins. I thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing in response this morning. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me we go out of this place this morning and we sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and we spread the gospel as we leave this place worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is amazing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. Grab a seat here. I'm going to give you some things that you can put into action this week if you want to go a little bit further. I encourage you, memorize Matthew 5, 11, and 12. It says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, I encourage you, again, read, read through Ephesians 3. Prepare your heart for next week as we look at the second part of Ephesians 3. And then thank God for his grace. Remember the gospel. Ye, we are so undeserving, and yet he is so kind. 
Remember his grace that allows you to be a part of advancing his kingdom. Thank him for that this week, often. And then lastly, remember the great calling that we have to spread the good news. That's the ultimate reason why God has given us his grace, so that we would be instruments of grace to his people. Church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.